by a shark the other day. Ouchie. Uh, let's spin. God damn it. It's supposed to make noise. It's all fucking point of this thing. I don't need this. Not today. Come on, Lord. Alright. Funsylvania. So here, I actually recorded, when I recorded the first episode, I recorded two Funsylvania entries. They both kind of sucked. I don't know. I just couldn't take both of them back to back. That's the introduction of this whole mess. So I held the other one in reserve until it came up again. I've got so much Funsylvania stuff. It's kind of ridiculous it doesn't come up till now. Anyway. This isn't good. And it's, uh, jeez, definitely not what the kids would call, uh, unobjectionable and inoffensive and, uh, plainly not racist or homophobic. I'm sorry for everything that I am and have been and will be. Here you go. June 26th, 2002. God. Today, something explicit is really dated, if you're a basketball fan. <laughs> or at least it's uh, time-stamped. Today, something expected, but nonetheless delightful, happened to a dear friend of mine, Maybiner Nene Hilario, who's drafted by the New York Knicks. Now, it does need to be pointed out that he was promptly traded to the lowly Denver Nuggets as part of the deal that sent Antonio McDice back to New York. But all that really matters is Nene has made the big time. God, I remember the day Nene came into my life. Forgive me, please, if this is a little blurry, but I'm crying now. Tears of joy to be sure, but also tears of nostalgia for a past greater than any possible future. I'd been on an expedition to the heart of the Brazilian rainforest to seek out the surviving members of a group of missionaries who had lucklessly gotten caught up in the middle of a bloody tribal war. The search proved a failure, though our crew at least was able to provide a decent Christian burial for the scattered bits of white man's remains we were able to find. Even though we should have felt enormous relief and satisfaction knowing we'd done our parts to help lead those poor brave souls upward to heaven, it was with heavy hearts that we arrived back in civilization, specifically Rio. 
Now, I don't know if any of you have experienced Carnival in Rio, but believe me when I tell you that no hundred Buick sales-a-thons could come close to the lusty jubilation with which the Brazilians welcome in the Lenten season. Still, though, no amount of horrible Brazilian music, no number of firm round buttocks of every possible shade of flesh rubbing hungrily against my crotch and orgiastic frenzy of dancing and all-around tropical fervor could lift my spirits. Despondent, I walked along through the empty streets of Rio's poorest neighborhoods, hoping in the back of my mind that some dance-crazed young thug would kill me for my tattered Reeboks. As I moved farther away from the crowds, I was gradually enveloped in silence. I started to panic. I ran as fast as I could, still farther away from the carnival until I collapsed in a heap on a dirt road. I began to sob. Soon, though, I heard a sound. A series of sounds, rather, that brought me to my feet. A steady thump-thumping, then an occasional swish. I ran toward the sound, and suddenly before me stood a young man, no more than 15 but already taller than I, playing basketball alone on a makeshift dirt court, using an old toilet seat for a hoop. The boy turned to me and smiled, but said nothing, then quickly returned to shooting baskets. I stared at him, his lithe, shirtless form glistening against the moonlit sky. For hours and hours I watched, unable to turn away. That night I lost my anal virginity. Oh, and my wallet and my shoes. Yeah, that ended horribly. And I like Brazilian music now. And, uh... Nene... Still out there, still at it. Yeah, I mean that wasn't funny. I guess it was well written enough, but it but it goes nowhere. I guess the Buick Salesathon thing would have been uh, fresh in two thousand two. I like the uh, quick transition. I'd been on an expedition to the heart of the Brazilian rainforests. He got the surviving members of a group of missionaries who had lucklessly gotten caught up in the middle of a bloody tribal war. That's a good sense. But, uh, yeah, that's really the only good thing about it. Oh, and the uh, using an old toilet seat for a hoop is good. Yeah, and, you know, I'd like to thank Nene for his years of service to the Washington Wizards. With that, I think I'm going to play you a uh, commercial for the Wizards. Sammy, a Washington Wizards yearbook isn't going to help you with your math homework. But, Dad, it helps to feel closer to my favorite team. I've got a better way. Better than Dad. The Washington Wizards Team Aim Profile. Wow, a digital dad. Online to the Wizards Aim Profile. For your information, I've also heard of the three-point shot. Wish. I even know what music Karan Butler likes to play. <laughs> when he's not playing the Cavs or the Heat. And I left a message for Deshaun Stevenson. Deshaun and my dad? Awesome. Next, you'll be telling me you got access to Antoine Jameson's photo gallery. Swish! I'm telling you, son, you want to feel closer to the Wizards, just create your own AIM profile. I feel pretty close with front row seats, too. With a Wizards team AIM profile, it's like having one right here in your room. All right. Let's get on it, Dad. My very own Wizards team AIM profile. As soon as you finish your math homework. To connect with the Wizards and other fans, make a point of visiting profiles.aim.com slash Washington B-Ball. That was kind of fun, right? I mean, fun is a word that has many. Let's spin again.
Spin, 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 I just read that John Entwistle, the great bass player for The Who, died in LAS Vegas today. While I appreciate his significant contribution to that legendary band, I never gone so far as to categorize myself as a John Entwistle fan, so I don't really have much to say on the subject. On the other hand, a subject on which I do have much to say is, going to the bathroom, number two in particular. And while this has for a long time been a favorite topic of mine, it's taken on particular importance over the last several weeks. Here is why. It all started just over three weeks ago, when, on a dare from my friend Henry, I attempted to eat six pounds of raw bread dough in under ten minutes, which I was to follow with three hours in a scalding hot bath. I'm happy to say I succeeded in the challenge, and in turn won the glorious satisfaction of having succeeded in the challenge. And although I was a little wobbly on my feet the rest of the day, and was belching up great yeasty bubbles of gas with alarming frequency, I felt, for the most part, physically sound. It was not until early the next morning, when I awakened to a searing stomach ache, that I began to worry. I rushed to the bathroom, hoping against hope for a healthy, productive movement, but instead sat pointlessly on the toilet for hours on end, no pun intended. Straining to the point of causing several slight, but nonetheless painful, fissures to open up on my anus, as well as bursting a blood vessel in my eye. Dizzy from all the pushing, I eventually fell off the toilet and split my head open on the side of the tub, losing a not insignificant chunk of brain in the process. I spent the next week or so in bed healing up and waiting for the lost part of my cerebral cortex to regenerate itself, which it thankfully did. Now, a smarter person would have rushed himself to a hospital, but I, with my legendary fear of the knife and the black bottle, chose instead to seek out a home remedy. I called my great-grandmother in the old country for some of her folk wisdom, and she carefully instructed me to drink as much olive oil as I possibly could, then bounce around on my belly until things started to loosen. Well, something started to loosen, alright, but it wasn't impacted fesses, it was my left ribcage. Soon enough, the whole thing was floating around dangerously and scraping against whichever organs it wanted to. I knew it was time to swallow my pride and seek professional help, so I hopped in the car and drove to the hospital. Sadly, just as I was entering the emergency room, a Serbian sniper leaning out a window of the apartment building opposite the hospital fired a 7.62mm bullet into the base of my skull, killing me almost instantly. On the plus side, though, at least I didn't have to pay any of those inflated doctor bills. The 28th of June, 2002. Well, diary, another day, another dollar. Work has been the very picture of tedium lately, what with Mr. Gillotson deciding that this summer is finally the time to relabel all the file folders, and Linda and Becky's annual fight over who can collate the best. Christ, this is going nowhere, I can tell already. I can't just keep going to the proverbial horrible injuries well, but that's where this one seems to be heading. I suppose I could tell the story about the time my colostomy bag exploded at Thanksgiving dinner, or the time I was accidentally elected Broward County Coroner, but I just don't have the energy right now, so I think I'll just close early tonight. Wait a minute, 
Oh, a Luftwaffe Messerschmitt is flying straight at my building. Oh dear, a sudden barrage of gunfire has just wiped me clean out of existence. Oh well. June 29, 2002. I had a damn terrifying thought just now. What if Jesus never comes back? What are we supposed to do then? Will all this chase living have been worth it? I'm starting to think not. Shit. All my life, I've struggled to walk the straight and narrow path, avoiding crime, hard drink, and fornication like they were poison, but now I'm really starting to wonder if I haven't just wasted my life. While I've spent countless weekends doing volunteer work for my church, I could have been freebasing cocaine and getting my testicles licked by underage Lithuanian girls. Instead of helping old ladies across the street, I could have been raping and killing them. Instead of starting my own charitable foundation to help the starving children of the world, I could have devoted my time and money toward the act of starving children. Instead of trying to have a kind word for everyone, I could have been pushing strangers down stairwells and poisoning my city's water supply. But, no, I chose the path of righteousness, and look where it's gotten me. Things are gonna change, I promise you. From now on, I vow to live my life according to the following rules. 1. Kill more people. 2. Have sex with lots of different things. 3. Be angrier, even if you don't feel like it. Answer the telephone by sincerely threatening to take the life of each caller. Lashing out verbally shouldn't just be for family members. Surprise a stranger by screaming at him. 4. Hug your children at least once a day. Then have sex with them. 5. When in doubt, Kill it or have sex with it. 6. Make a commitment to yourself to write a new entry in your fake internet diary every day even though no one will ever read it. June 30th, 2002. Went fishing today. Hadn't been fishing in years, and it'll probably be years before I go again. The only thing I caught today was chlamydia, thanks to the daughter of the man from whom I rented the boat. But that's a story for later, if ever. For now, I'll just stick to the fishing trip. It was a warm, clear, beautiful day, with a steady breeze blowing from Catalina Island out to sea. The boat I'd rented, the gnarled foot, named, I was to discover, in honor of its owner's daughter, was a clean 70-footer with a sturdy mast and a slight vinegar smell. Although I hadn't been out to sea once in the eight drunken years that had drifted by since my now legendary shipwreck along the coast of Delaware, my sea legs were quick in returning, and while I was somewhat unsteady at the helm, the waters were calm and I had, as they say, room to groove, so I sailed out about two nautical miles from shore, cast out my line, and sat back to wait and relax with a heady pipe of this new opium I'd been enjoying of late. Well, I must have smoked a bit more than usual, because my solitude was soon shattered by the appearance of several monsters. Without thinking, I grabbed a nearby harpoon and hurled it into the head of the nearest, and largest, beast. The thing recoiled with a horrible wail, shuddered powerfully, then sank slowly into the murky depths from whence it came. For a moment I was prepared to rest on my laurels. But I quickly remembered that I left them at home, and on top of that there were still more of these horrid creatures encircling the gnarled foot. 
and the only harpoon around was now sinking slowly to the bottom of the ocean by courtesy of the monster in whose head it was lodged. I searched frantically and finally below deck came upon a flare gun. I rushed back above and was horrified to find something that looked like a giant squid propelling itself toward me on two of its tentacles. I took aim with the flare gun and hit my target. With a piteous squeal, the burning squid creature flung itself backward, tangling itself in the sail. The sail began to smolder, so I tossed at it the nearest liquid at hand. In this case, brandy. Flame leapt up the sail and spread to the mast, the whoosh of the huge blaze drowning out the tortured bellows of the burning squid thing. I was about to jump into the ocean and abandon the vessel, but there, alongside the boat, were three more monsters. Knowing that the only way I could possibly survive meant chancing death, I let go the sail, which crashed to the deck with such force that the boat submerged a little before bouncing back up. I rushed to the smoking mast and kicked at it and stomped on it until a large piece of it splintered off. I picked up this improvised weapon and stabbed blindly and ferociously at the sea creatures, until finally the deck was awash with blood, gore, and brine, and the monsters were no more. Exhausted, I flung myself into the unforgiving waters, moments before the good little boat capsized with a desperate creak and joined the fell beasts down below. I swam as far as I could back toward land, doing much more treading than swimming. Eventually, a Coast Guard clipper rescued me. When they pieced together my relation to the wreck of the gnarled foot, they held me until what time the police could come and arrest me for the murder of five tourists and a scuba instructor. July 4, 2002. Happy 226th, America. I've been back from an essentially day-long party for a couple hours now. I have the sort of nagging headache that I find comes every time I start drinking early, don't get quite drunk, and gradually sober up as day turns to night. I had a good time, particularly early on, 
and had some good conversations that, in retrospect, were all about how horrible the people are in L.A. It's nice to talk to nice people, particularly when they're sexy girls. Sadly, I really got nowhere. At some point, I just clammed up. I know when, too, and why. But I won't say. There could be federal agents reading this thing. Nothing we all haven't tried, though, I can tell you that much. Made me remember why I quit the stuff in the first place. It makes me too groggy to want to talk to anybody. Makes me want to curl up in bed with a big stuffed animal or something and drift off into dreamy land. Maybe eat some pudding. Which isn't so good at parties. Shit, how like a genuine diary entry this is. Boring. Anyway, the highlight of the party was probably when I dropped a bowling ball on my toe and inadvertently created a whole new dance sensation. One that just might, I dare say, start sweeping the nation. We'll have to see. And that watermelon eating contest sure packed a few surprises. A few sticky surprises, one might say. And who could forget the surprise raid on the neighboring machine parts factory? More than one of us will wake up sore in the morning. Jeez. It's a wonder I didn't get laid tonight. July the 5th of 2002, my dear boy. Idea for a television series. Old scumbags. The residents of the Discount Acres Retirement Home in Santa Feces, California are generally people worth avoiding. Widower Sherman Flappy Rourke, for instance, was a corrupt police lieutenant in his younger days before he was booted off from the force without pension after a scandal involving the mysterious deaths of 50 or so young black men who'd all happened to be in his charge when they were mysteriously beaten to death with an assortment of blunt instruments all of which could be traced directly to him. After leaving the force, he ran a modestly successful adult carpet store. Nowadays, he just grumbles about the good old days and fondles the other residents visiting grandchildren. Mabel Latrine, Flappy's girlfriend when he needs her to be, accrued a small criminal record in her more active days, but the charges were generally just for petty misdemeanors like disturbing the peace and urinating in public. Mabel is always good for an unintentional laugh at her own expense, until Flappy, she'd had never had a boyfriend for more than 20 or 30 minutes. She has 10 kids, that she knows of. Her hobbies include celebrity gossip, general viciousness, and inane banter. Mickey Lecho is a short, greasy man who will fuck anything that can't run away or physically overpower him. Rudy and Laverne Costco have been married for over 50 years and still hate each other as much as they did the day they were married. If they're not drunk and yelling at each other, they're drunk and hitting each other. That's as far as I've gotten, but I think we've got ourselves a series. July the 6th, in the year 2002. Were you, what a day. I never knew a person could play so much badminton, fun as it was. That's the last time I'm going to Linda Levin's house, I can tell you that much. Fucking uptight M. Woffer. You know, it all reminds me of the time in the jungles of El Salvador when a local native Hifi wanted me to marry his hija. She was a nice enough girl, and an absolute wet dry back in the sack, 
but she had the kind of face that could curdle milk and then make it wish it was dead. The kind of face that could melt traffic. A face you wouldn't touch without putting on work gloves. A face like a donkey trying clumsily to eat a lasagna. A face that could influence migratory patterns. A face that could sink a thousand ships, and so on. Well, you must be wondering, however did you manage to get yourself out of having to marry her? Simple. I didn't. And that is why I can no longer stand Linda Laban. It's a long story. P.S. Remind me next time to tell you about the different ways in which my wife is so fat. July 8th of 2002. Mate. It's an uncanny thing. And I dare say it only happens in L.A. But of the three July 8ths I've lived here, all three have featured me doing absolutely nothing. It's weird, I know. But I swear I'm telling the truth. If I'm in the mood for a good laugh, I'll see something with Ben Affleck in it. How come nobody talks about George Burns anymore? I was talking with my good friend Maury Povich the other day, and he informed me that somebody kind of famous will be dead within a year. Was there any 20th century world leader more villainous than Adolf Hitler? I think not. No matter what everyone else says, I still think Tom Hanks seems like a pretty nice guy. My early pick for the Best Picture Oscar. Like Mike and look for Bowow to steal Best Actor, maybe two or three times. Remember, you heard it here first, folks. July 9th, 2002. Is it me, or does this thing get less funny with each new entry? Nah, I'm probably just imagining things. A troubling thing happened to me today. I had just finished laying down a couple saxophone tracks in the studio and I was in a big hurry to get to the jewellery store before they closed, since I was supposed to go to a big party tonight, and I just feel naked without my rings. Well, I had less than 10 minutes to make my way all the way across town, in the middle of rush hour no less, so I decided to take a shortcut. To make a long story short, I ended up driving into a public swimming pool and drowning. This is my ghost writing now. Boo scary ghost noises and such a priest a rabbi and a nutritionist walk into a bar what a lippy asks the bartender i'll have a drink says the priest i'll also have a drink said the rabbi hum said the nutritionist I'll put 20 on Rumpelstiltskin to place in the 130 and 20 large on Piven's Revenge to win the 2 o'clock. Because, you see, the nutritionist wasn't just a nutritionist, but also a stupid When you are finished laughing, please come visit us on the line at anchor.fm slash important. Also on Instagram, at importantstagram, with three A's and one I, like Sandy Duncan if she had one other A in her name. This has been a production from Jour Motersas.